Right to be Red podcast, episode number 30. Interview with Kimansi Constable. You are listening to the Right to be Red podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to be Red podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. Today, I have a very interesting interview. I'm interviewing Kimansi Constable. And he is a former bread delivery guy who self-published two books that have sold over 82,000 copies. He's a published author, international speaker, life and business coach. His mission is to help men and women live life by their own design and create true freedom in life. You can join him at kimanziconstable.com. So hello and welcome to my show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Annie. I'm... Uh... Honored that you would stay up later to talk with me. Oh, you know, I'm already, you know, getting used to this time difference. It's a very decent time for me right now. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay, well, I personally was inspired by your story, which, you know, I briefly introduced in the intro. But can you tell a bit more about uh, who you were and how things changed and took you to where you are now. Yeah, for 12 years, I was, as you said, a bread delivery guy. I'd be waking up at midnight and going to deliver bread to the grocery stores. Um, it, it, it technically was my business. It was a franchise um, business. So I was a business owner, but it definitely wasn't my passion. And then as I got older and I got married and we had children, and, and all the activities that come when you have kids, it was getting very hard to wake up at midnight to go deliver bread after getting three hours of sleep. So over that 12-year period, I started out when I was 19, and I loved it. It was great. It made great income. And then in the middle of that, you know, six years in, um, I had completely mismanaged the money from the business. We were in huge debt. Um, me and my wife were always fighting. Uh I just, it wasn't my passion. And then at the end of it, I just, I hated it. I mean, I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I, I hated it. But I didn't have a special degree or any special skills. So I just kind of felt trapped and I felt stuck. And during that time is really when I rediscovered my love for writing. I always loved to write. I, I could remember as far back as I can remember, always just writing different poems and, and different things and short stories. I'd written a couple novels when I was, you know, 10 years old <laughs> about uh, people in our, our neighborhood. So um, those were kind of popular in the neighborhood. But I'd always loved to write. And so during this really bad time in my life, I, I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. I just started keeping a journal. I started writing about what was going on. And that's really when I rediscovered my love for writing. And so, you know, here I am in 2011. I, I'm writing all this stuff. I'm stuck in a job that I hate. Um, life really isn't good. And I, I really want to make this writing work. But it's like, you know, how could you make a career out of this? Who, who makes money at writing? And up to that point, I was pretty oblivious to social media. I wasn't on social media at all. I didn't know anything about the online world, any of that stuff. But... I had come across the story of Amanda Hawking, who was a, a self-published author who at 19 had written 17 novels. So um, she was definitely a writer. 
And she tried to go the, the traditional route, get those published, but nobody would publish her books. Mm-hmm. So she self-published them on Amazon. And this was when, you know, 2011 was when self-publishing really started to kind of take off. So she put her books on there. And in, an, in the first month, she had sold 10,000 copies, which is, you know, if you've self-published, you know that that's incredible to sell yeah. 10,000 copies. And she had made more money than she made in her life. She was able to quit her job. And then um, the books really started to take off because her books were paranormal normal romance books. And this is when Twilight and all that stuff was starting to become popular. Mm-hmm. So um, she really got a strong following. And in eight months, she went on to sell one million copies of her self-published books. And I was reading her story in USA Today. And that story right there was what just gave me the courage to take my thoughts that I had been writing for so long in this notebook and to try to self-publish them. Now, you know, I, I looked at self-publishing and what it would cost for editing and I wanted to do it right. I didn't want to have a book out there that just didn't look good. I wanted a book out there that looked like a like a real book. Mm-hmm. So I looked into the cost and it was going to be about $900 for everything that I needed. And I didn't have that money. I was broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was living paycheck to paycheck. So to get the money to make this happen, uh, that summer I had to go and I had to cut grass for uh, my neighbors, clean their houses, wash their cars, just whatever it took to make that money to get that 900 bucks. And so I did odd jobs all summer and I got the 900 bucks and it was like the greatest day of my life when, when I got that money. And so here I am in August of 2011, the book came out August 11th and I was excited because so many people had said they're going to buy this book, friends, family, people on the bread route, my mailman, everybody had said that they're going to buy this book. So, um, the book was all professionally done. I joined social media, which is what the experts say you should do. I got the website up. And I was quote unquote promoting, I'm doing that in air quotes here. I was promoting the book. And the day that it came out, I expected to see at least a hundred sales from friends and family. I mean, a hundred sales, <laughs> no problem. The book is only five bucks. I mean, who wouldn't buy that five bucks, right? <laughs> and, and that book was called Tales of the Everyday Working Man and Woman. And so I'm writing about work here. This is going to appeal to a wide audience, I thought. So I thought it wouldn't be long before I had the same kind of uh, success that Amanda had. And the day the book came out, I, I ran home from work and I logged on to Amazon. And, and can you guess what I saw, Annie? Well, you're telling something similar to my story. I, I presume that it was much, much less than the hundred you expected. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, zero. Nobody bought the book. Okay, well, it was, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, I thought, oh, maybe Amazon just doesn't update their results in real time. So I was checking every hour to see what was going on with the book, and it was zero, zero, zero. And by the end of the day, it was still zero. I was bitter. Um, I went on Facebook and I'm like, you know, I told all the people, I'm like, you guys all said that you're going to buy my book and you didn't buy it. You're all fake and everybody's fake. Nobody's really my real friend. And it wasn't long before um, it wasn't long before everybody. I, I mean, I literally had one friend, Annie one friend on uh, Facebook, and that was my wife. <laughs> Everybody else had a friend of me. And so I was just disappointed. And then it went on to, to, to kind of speed up the story. It went on for six months. I sold five copies in the first six months. Uh-huh. And so it was heartbreaking because, you know, I thought this was it. I'd done everything right. Um, 
but it didn't sell. So um, in that first six months, three of my friends bought the book just to kind of um, make sure that I didn't do anything crazy. But at the end of that six months, I was done. I'm like, you know what? Forget self-publishing. Forget all this internet stuff. I'm just going to deliver bread and I'm either going to die or I'm going to retire here. And that was good enough for me. Well, since it's the ideal time to ask uh, this question, I'll, I'll just stop you there. <laughs> just so I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I'm sure that most of my listeners have gone through this because most of us in the very beginning were inspired by some stories of people who just hit it and had overnight success and had the really huge scale sales and things like that. And at the end, we all came uh, and faced the reality and these very low numbers and um, ended up disappointed. And I, I, I know that most of us have been there. And can you tell us how did you overcome that? How did you approach that situation? Because the easiest way for many is just to give up, decide that that's it, it's not for me. It, you know, I couldn't do it. And I'm going back to my comfort zone and continue doing what I was doing before. Yeah, for me, it was and it was it's really that next part of the story. It was a, a guy that was reading my blog. And he said that um, reading my blog, he had been inspired to go quit his job. And I said, Hey, man, I don't know whose blog you're reading, but I definitely didn't tell you to quit your job. So don't do that. But um, I, I definitely want to help you. So we got on the phone. And we kind of figured out what his dream was. And we put a plan together to get his dream job. And he actually landed that job. And so right there and then when he landed that job and called me and said, hey, I got my dream job. It was because of you. That's when really things um, got put into perspective for me. So um, that's when I really became a writer. When I realized that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about selling books. It wasn't about you know my own selfish agenda. It was actually writing to help people, to help people that were in the same situation as me. And so um, from that point, you know, my focus shifted from all about Kamanzi to all about the reader, you know, the person mm -hmm. that I'm writing to. I, I wrote this book for a reason. And it wasn't to show how great I was. It was actually to help people. And so that that's really what what helped for me when I wanted to quit so bad was just shifting focus. So uh, what happened with that first book? It, was it one of those two that you sold later on in big volumes or not? Um, what, what happened after that was I figured out that I didn't know anything about marketing a book. So <laughs> I, I had to learn how to, to market a book. And really the biggest thing that I did um, was I knew that I needed an audience. I, one thing that I saw was I didn't have any kind of an audience. I had five people a day reading my website, which wasn't going to give me any book sales. The The best thing that I, I really did for myself um, to sell books and as an author was really start to build my audience. And and the way that I built my audience and really started getting a lot of book sales was just simply through guest posting. So I started writing articles for people that had larger sites than my own. Mm -hmm. And the very first big guest post that I had was from Michael Hyatt, mm -hmm. who is the former CEO of Thomas Nelson, you know, one of the largest book publishing companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And the day that I, the guest post went live on his blog, 
I ended up having 20,000 visitors on that first day. Wow. Just that just that first day alone. So to go from no audience to 20,000 people, 6,000 email subscribers um, in a short period of time, I definitely started selling some books. And then from there, I went on to write for guys like Jeff Coins, um, Dan Miller, John Acuff. And there was probably like 40 other people that I had that year in 2012 that I had written articles for. So that year, I had half a million visitors to my website. So to go from five people a day to half a million visitors, you're, you're going to start to sell some books. Um, and so that, that's really what, what jumpstarted the book sales. And then from that point, it was just getting more focused and more strategic with strategies. Like you know, when my second book came out, I actually launched it. Like I had an official book launch where I had a launch team and everything like that. And so the book got a lot of exposure in a lot of different places. And then, um, you know, it was really over just a three-year period that those books just started to, to build a following and, and people shared and, and my audience grew and people bought more books and it just added up over time. Okay, I see. And how did you uh, landed your very first guest post? How did you approach this kind of popular person so he responded to you? Did you have like a special you know, a very intriguing, special kind of email you sent him? Or, you know, how did you make the first step? Um, well, back then, I'm just going to say it was just luck. <laughs> <laughs> Because knowing what I know now, yeah, it had to have been luck back then. Um, it was just, I, I back then, um, guys like Michael Hyatt were a little bit more accessible in 2012, um, you know, now he's, his audience is huge. So, um, if you send him an email, I, you know, chances are you're probably not going to talk to him, but back then, um, you could. So I just simply, and I, these were websites that I was already reading every day, commenting, sharing. So it wasn't like I was completely unknown mm -hmm. to the, to the big bloggers. They had some clue who I was, but I simply sent an email saying, you know, Michael, you know that I'm a fan of your, your website. I wrote something that I think would be a great guest post. I've, uh, um, I put it in the body of this email and I wrote the post, something specific for his audience, something in, in the voice and the tone that he likes to write in. Mm -hmm. And I put that in the email and I just figured that if anything, the content would speak for itself. I might not be a big blogger or anything like that or have, um, any kind of audience, but I figured I would just let the article speak for itself. And that's all I did. And he kicked it back and he said, hey, this is, you have something here, but you need to work on these areas. Mm -hmm. And so we went back forth a few times. And that fourth time, it, it got to the point where he liked it and he said, yeah, I'll run this. And, and, and it worked that way. So, you know, what I would tell somebody now is if you're going to send a guest post to a big blogger, I would say, don't try like the flattery approach. You see that a lot. Hey, um, so-and-so. You know, I'm a really big fan of your blog. You've really changed my life. You know, mm -hmm, you go on mm -hmm. and on trying to flatter them. They'll see you right through that. They know why you want a guest post. They know you want to build your audience. And and they're busy too. So they don't have time to read like this 10-page email. So you keep it short and sweet. You know, I'm a fan of your blog. This post, and you get really specific, this post, 21 ways to change your life, changed my life. Thank you for it. Um, these are some places that I've been featured. If you've written anywhere else, um, you can definitely send them links to the stuff you've written on your website, mm -hmm. but it's almost, it almost adds a lot more credibility if you've written anywhere else, like anywhere else. 
It doesn't have to even be a big blog, but anywhere else that they're going to respect that a little bit more and then say thank you and attach the post in the body of the email. If you're not going to write the post, another great way to do it is to um, write three topics that you're thinking about. So you're thinking about writing about A, B, and C and kind of bullet point out what those are going to be about and they can just choose that way. Yeah, I like B. B works. Write something for B and send it my way. Mm -hmm. But keeping it short and sweet, showcasing your other work, and then letting the writing speak for itself, that's definitely how you land um, guest post in today's world. Yeah, okay, I see. So you should show your content and not yourself. And then the content should speak by itself. And it should be relevant to the audience of the blog you're sending it to. And and Annie, I would even add a caveat to that. Um, to These days, people ask me about guest posting for, for bloggers. Um, for big bloggers, like powerhouse blogs out there, like you know Tim Ferriss, this and that. You could definitely do that. But I would say to even bypass those and go for the large websites. So, you know, Annie's a friend of mine on Facebook. So she's seen, you know, I've started writing for the Huffington Post, for Entrepreneur Magazine, for the Good Men Project. Yeah. Uh, a big blogger, if he wrote every day, that would be 365 posts in, in, in a year, right? Yeah. If he wrote every day. And most of them don't write every day. It's a couple times a week. Whereas like a large site like the Huffington Post, They'll have 365 articles in one month. So mm -hmm. if and they're and because their sites are so large, they're always looking for good content. They can never have enough good content. So um, when they pick articles for sites like that, it's not about the relationships or or anybody, you know, my buddy is buddies with this buddy and he can get me in to write for this big blog. On those large websites, it's strictly about good content, period. So if you emailed one of the editors at one of those large websites, they would tell you right there or then, yes or no, or this is what you need to work on. But chances are you're going to land one of those sites um, before you would land one of the big bloggers. Aha, uh -huh. interesting, interesting point, because those big sites are, you know, they don't have any lower or weaker reputation, even the other way. I mean, having a guest post on a Goodman Project or Entrepreneur, or especially the Huffington Post, has uh, it's equally or even better than having a guest post in Tim Ferriss' blog. So it's interesting that here they have uh, a less personalized approach and here it's like a, exactly an objective valuation of the content exactly okay so you ended up growing your audience and growing it after your first guest post quite fast when was the point you decided that you can already afford leaving your day job you hate and concentrating full time on what you're doing now It was at the end of 2012. So, um, you know, I had the book and then I had a second book and then I started, I added some online products um, and all those started to make um, the same amount as my day job and then it started to make more. But because uh, my wife was a little leery about, you know, making money on the internet and that kind of stuff, it's just kind of weird. Um, we, we waited until we had a, a decent size emergency fund. Mm -hmm. So um, it was at the end of 2012 where I was able just to say, see ya. Mm -hmm. 
I see. So, uh, but anyway, I mean, these kind of big changes are a bit risky and scary. So was it difficult for you to go ahead and, and make this change or you were waiting for it eagerly and it was just, you know, you couldn't wait to just, you know, leave the job and then start your new life? Uh, I think it's a little bit of all of that. Um, it's still kind of scary to this day because when you, uh, I've been self-employed since I was 19, which, so I understand self-employment, but the income is is sporadic at times. You know, you have a good month and you're eating steak and well, I'm a vegetarian, so you're eating tofu. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a, a bad month and you know, you're eating crackers. But I think the things that kind of help your fears um, is having that large emergency fund, um, something to fall back on, having a good plan. I mean, if, you, if you're trying to do this and you don't have a plan for how you're going to sustain or grow your business, uh, this is definitely not something that you should jump into. But I think between the emergency fund and the plan and then the, the hustle. So you, you're out here, you're on your own, you have all this time now, you need to do whatever you got to do to grow. So I'm writing in as many places as I can, still trying to grow my audience to this day. And then I'm trying to be there for my audience, um, helping them with some of the things that they're going through and struggling with, kind of like how you're doing here with this podcast. Uh-huh, I see. So how do you stay productive? Because I mean, you're uh, writing so many guest posts, you're also writing for your blog, and you're writing books parallel to all that. So uh, what do you have any specific writing routine? I mean, living in Hawaii, it's a dis- destruction by itself, you know. <laughs> so how do you stay so productive? Yeah, I'm a mile from the ocean. I can see it from my house. So you're right. It is very distracting. But uh, for me, the first month was horrible. And so I learned a lesson that first month because I would write for 10 minutes or or do what I got to do for 10 minutes and then I'd watch TV all day. So I I definitely learned the hard way when um, the income started going down. But mm-hmm. for me, I like to use uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, like the middle of my week. I like to use as uh, time to do meetings and interviews and coaching and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, Monday and and Friday are the days I really like to write. I mean, I write a little bit every day, but it's it's Monday and Friday that I really like to write. So those days, um, I do a lot of batching. So when it comes to my website, I write eight posts a month. I'll write all those in just one sitting. I'll sit there and I'll write those. And I find that way, um, if I'm writing about a certain theme, it will just flow a lot better. So if I'm writing about a subject for the month, by batching it, it just flows so much better. Um, and then when it comes to the other writing, like writing articles for all these magazines, you know, I'll write those on a Friday. I'll sit there and I'll write all the articles for that week on Friday. And then during the week, like, um, uh, about a half an hour every night, I'll, I'll spend writing my third book. So half an hour to hour, just every day writing my third book. But I've definitely found the biggest thing that has helped has been batching. Uh-huh, I see. So it's uh, you, you write for the whole month and you, you know that your blog is secured for the month in terms of content. That's great. Do you, do you accept guest posts as well or it's only you who's writing for your website? 
Yeah, I, I do accept guest posts. Yeah, you'll see um, guest posts time to time there. And now, you know, even more since I've started writing for other places, people have definitely been sending them in. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. And what inspires you most? I mean, you, you get inspiration from different places, I presume, uh, because, you know, if you're sitting to write and it flows, it means that, you know, you get inspired from somewhere. And which are your sources of inspiration? Well, definitely podcast. Um, you know, I have a ton of podcasts on my phone and I run a lot. So when I'm running, I, I definitely love to listen to podcasts. It's music. I'm a big fan of music. I always have music on when I write. So that's definitely inspiring. Um, more, more than anything though, the, the one thing that always drives me is, you know, my, my father died in, in 2012 and he died at 54 suddenly. And yeah. we didn't know that anything was wrong with him. He, he died suddenly. And right before his death, um, every conversation we had, like the last five conversations, he had talked about all the things that he wanted to do in life and the things that he regretted not doing. And he said, you know, take it from me, you know, son, don't, don't come to the end of your life with regret in your heart. He's like, all those dreams, all those desires, everything that you want to do, he's like, just go for them. Um, you can get over not having all the stuff. Um, having stuff is great, but you're not going to remember the stuff and you're not going to take it with you. What you are going to remember is, is those experiences. So he said, choose experiences over stuff. And so for me, you know, the thing that drives me is I don't want to live a life of regret. And I have so many messages that I want to share with the world, especially the fact that you can do this. Like for authors, you can do this. You can self-publish and you can sell books and you can build it to where it supports your family. But more than that, what does that create as a result? It creates freedom, like real freedom, where you can spend your time doing what's important to you, not your time being 40 hours at a job that you hate. And so that's what really drives me is, is just showing people that it is possible that you can do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is possible. And, uh, but at the same time, I think that the message should be given also, and I, I'm sure you do that, that it's also a hard work. So, you know, without work, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> because many have so many unrealistic expectations, they think that just, you know, by writing the book and putting it out there, will will secure them this freedom, which we are talking about, but it's a daily hard work, and it takes time it doesn't happen overnight so it took you um how long approximately like two years uh three yeah two two and a half years yeah it, it is hard work and i think as authors and, and just people that are frustrated we're always looking for that magic bullet or that silver bullet or that one thing i always get that question people email me what's the one thing that i can do well it's not one thing yeah <laughs> exactly yeah no it's it's not the one thing and it's not something you just do once and it's over you know it's it's a permanent uh, hard work and uh, it's many many different things which you have to be willing to learn and you have to be dedicated enough and you have to make sacrifices so it's just I always tell writers that you have to start with your why why do you want to do this and how bad do you want to get there and you know depending Depending on your answer, you, you're even either going to give up in the very first difficulty or you, you will keep going on until you get there. 
So, yeah. <laughs> and how do you keep your um, readers, the readers of your blog and, and your readers of the books engaged? What's your communication with them? You know, do you have any relationships with your, do you know who they are and how do you get in touch with them? Uh, do I know who all of them are? Definitely not. But I do talk to quite a few of them. So, you know, I, I do the normal things like social media and, and stuff like that. But the thing that I do really for my audience is the people that are signed up for my email list, mm -hmm. I send them out exclusive content. And so, you know, everybody has the freebie where you sign up for your website and get the freebie. Mm -hmm. But every Saturday um, for people that are subscribed to my email list, I send them out something exclusive that I won't post anywhere else. So like... Last week, for example, um, I sent out a, a, an article to them, um, just a little thing to them, showing them exactly how to get an article featured on the Huffington Post. I mean, I walked them through it. I did screenshots. I showed them. And um, so far, I've heard from like five or six people that have landed articles on the Huffington Post. And so I, that's just for them. Like this week, I'm going to walk them through, well, how do you write articles that get featured on large websites, like the process that I use? And it's a pretty interesting process. So every Saturday, I will send them something exclusive and something that they can use, something that's take away, like a tool, a, tr a tip, a trick. And they've told me that's the reason why they've saved, stayed subscribed for so long. Yeah, that's that's a very unique and good approach, uh, I think, because very often, I mean, I personally get disappointed uh, from and don't really subscribe so often to email lists because I end up getting different sales pitches at the end, which is not what I need at that point. I mean, it's not the reason I subscribed. So at the end, you end up unsubscribing and the, re the result is the same. I mean, you lose the the subscriber whom uh, you gained just for a very short period of time until your first or second email of you know either asking for a favor or or uh, sending out the sales pitch so i'm i'm absolutely sure that providing value on a regular basis is uh, is the key to keeping uh, the readers uh, for a very long time and making them a loyal readers actually yeah and even even those people on the list have told me and new people that have been on the list that they said, Hey, yeah, I subscribe because so-and-so said I need to be seeing this every Saturday. So that's, it's helped with word of mouth as well. Uh -huh, I see. So they, they promote your email list as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really good. Uh, so um, let's just get to self-publishing for, for a bit. So, for example, let's say there are podcast listeners here who are listening to us now who have written a book, for example, but they have the draft manuscript and they don't know what to do next. So what do you think are the biggest challenges of self-publishing? Well, definitely you have to have a good product. Um, you have to have the book edited. Um, I know people that don't have books edited. And if you research any big self-published author that said that they didn't have their book edited, they said that was the biggest regret. Um, mm -hmm. there's just things that we're, we're so close to the book that you could be an English major or something like that. And you're still going to miss stuff. Mm 
And then when you do and you put that book out there, trust me, it's going to be in the reviews about the grammar. It, it happens every time. So I think once you got the book done, it's time to start thinking about editing. It's time to start thinking about formatting, hiring a, a formatter that will make this book look like a book and it won't look like a mush when it's on Amazon. Um, so that's definitely to think about. And then really to the, to think about the cover because the cover is what people do judge a book by his cover. There's 14 million books on Amazon and there's, there's a million books being added to Amazon every day. One million books. Mm-hmm. So it definitely don't lock for competition. So it's time to start thinking about making a killer product. And then the fourth component to that is really your marketing. What are you going to do to market this book? And, and honestly, the marketing is something that I heard in your last interview, the, the author, the, the guy said that you really, the marketing starts when you start writing a book. Yeah. And he's right. It's got to start early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, you kind of use that period while writing, doing some things and preparing the ground so you don't have to do it from zero. And um, I don't know, I mean, it's the, there is a perception that, you know, the writers are supposed only to write. And, but this privilege have only the most famous writers who have big publishers behind who are willing to spend a lot of money on marketing because if you're not a big writer even big publishers won't really do much marketing for you actually so these days writers can't afford not marketing and if they they don't do that unfortunately no matter how good their book will be it it won't sell by itself yeah and you know we know the statistics that most authors won't sell more than 250 copies of your book if you self-publish you know it's hard to sell books but you know there's little things you can do you know to, to having a good book launch forming the launch team getting reviews of your book um, different book clubs that you can join there's a lot of little things that you could do that really help you get above that 250 pretty easily yeah definitely and it's well it's it's not easy but uh, again it depends if you're really really into that i mean look you you went to different doing different odd jobs on top of your full-time job you know just to get that 900 dollars to make this happen so you know there's always a way out and talking about that 900 dollars what do you think is the approximate estimate of how much an author should spend on, on the things you mentioned, like the cover editing and formatting and things like that, what do you think is the minimum that uh, the author should uh, be spending on a book to make it decent and marketable? I, I definitely think that 900 range is probably pretty good. I do realize that since I self-publish, um, there's different avenues have come up, like Fiverr, for example. I know you can go get a cover and you could even get your book formatted on Fiverr for like five bucks. And I've seen people that have done it, and the books aren't that bad. But I'm of the belief if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. You know, when I hired a company, I hired a company called 52 Novels to format. Um, I got that company as a recommendation from Barry Eisler, who is a New York Times bestselling author and he's huge in the self-publishing world. So I, I went to the guys that he used and mm -hmm. they did a fantastic job for about 300 bucks. And my book was first book was 30,000 words. It was about 300 bucks to format it. And then there was no pictures. And then for the editing is probably the most expensive thing. But you know, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of, you, 
need. And I spent um, $400 to get the book edited. Again, 30,000 words. So, but uh, everybody that's read it has had no complaints about the grammar. It made um, me, who is not good at grammar, it actually made me sound smart, which was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm a great, you know, I love to write, but grammar is definitely not my thing and i'm not even gonna pretend like it is and then uh the cover was a couple hundred bucks but i love the cover that was designed and it was the guy that designed my website and i think he just did a great job okay i see well really really interesting story really inspiring one and um, i'm sure that many uh, after our interview already uh, won't have unrealistic expectations first of all and second we'll really see a real life example of a person who succeeded uh, against a lot and who succeeded by himself uh, even you know being um full t- being on a full-time job and not having you know plenty of free time to write but still even he could do that so what would be your last advice to our listeners who are uh, either writing a book or uh, will be writing a book soon well i'm gonna cheat and give you two <laughs> <laughs> one is one is just be patient as annie said out throughout the whole episode it just takes time. It takes time and it's hard. And it's, it's, you know, we're talking about something that happened over three years. We're talking about here in this interview, you know, in, in 40 minutes. So it, it seems like it happened overnight, but it wasn't. It was over three night, three years of nights. So it takes time and, and just be patient. Um, and then the second piece of advice is just really build your audience. Because there's a lot of little things you can do. There's a lot of tips and tricks out there about self-publishing. But honestly, if you have, you know, 1,000 people in your audience and you sell 999 books, um, you've maxed, you, you've converted at 99%. Where are you going to go from there? So uh, really constantly building your audience, getting new people in there, um, seeing your books and an opportunity to buy your books. That's going to be the best thing you can do for yourself is to really just focus on, on building your audience because ultimately that's, that's what sells books. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time you dedicated for our podcast. Thanks a lot. It was really inspiring. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for uh, having me with all the noises here in Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a lot of action. Yeah, well, we were unlucky to have your neighbor, you know, moving just at the time we started our interview. Hopefully our listeners will, you know, will forgive us for that. (laughs) But I'm sure that the, the value of the messages and the information you provided will compensate that. Well, once again, I would like to apologize for the relatively bad sound quality in the beginning. And as I said, that was not my our fault. That was Kimazi's neighbor's fault who were moving. Uh, hopefully, it did not disturb you too much. And I will try to avoid similar situations in the future. And before I leave you, uh, I would like to tell you that I'm really excited to have a completely brand new design of my website 
website. So you can go and check it out and let me know what you think at www.annealexander.com. And besides that, I also have a page there, which is my new brand new sales page for my coachings, which I'm doing with writers. So if you would like to take your writing into next level, and if you would like to share your stories with the world and have your book self-published, just check out www.annealexander.com backslash get help. And you will have all the details there and see if it's your piece of cake or not. Well, that was it for today. I really hope you enjoyed the interview and I will be waiting for you on Thursday. And now get back to writing because that's what writers do. (laughs) 